How are you out there tonight? Amen. God is good. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians tonight, chapter 4. And by God's grace, there are only two verses left in chapter 4, so I hope I'm not being too presumptuous and thinking we might finish it tonight. But turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 31 and 32 of chapter 4, the last two. Now, remember, we did an in-depth study of uh, chapters 5 and 6, and we're not going to go there, so but we're, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4 here. Uh, let me start in verse 29, and we're going to concentrate on the last two verses. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that we can be in your word tonight. In the middle of the week, Lord, we can get a refresher. We can get energized by your word. Father, do something in each of our hearts tonight from this text, and don't let us leave here uh, the way that we came, Lord God, but allow us to be changed by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said... Amen. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve, say grieve, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Powerful. Now let me just recap 31 and 32 because it's packed full of topics and we're going to cover them tonight. Let all, say all, all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So now we said verse 25 through 31 as Paul is concluding this chapter here, speaking to the Ephesians, lists a whole bunch of things that need to go once we've been changed from the old nature to being in Christ. Now Ephesians teaches as with all the Pauline epistles and as with all the New Testament that we uh, are in Christ once we've confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord and we've become born again. Amen. How many people are in Christ tonight? Amen. Everybody's hands going up. Praise God. That, that'll slim down the altar call, but it's good news. So we are in Christ. We're new creations. And because we're new, the old has to go away. Amen. How many can say without a doubt that you're different now that you know Jesus than before when you were... Amen. Amen. Uh, we are different people. We're new creations. Positionally, we're, uh, we're saved. We're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We've been redeemed. And so we need to walk differently. We define the walk of a Christian as the way they think, act, feel, and live. And so we as Christians need to walk differently. We need to think, act, and feel differently now because we are in Him. We looked at verses 25 through 28, and we saw that lying and anger that leads to sin and stealing were the first three things that had to go. We talked about, you know, lying, and lying is not something that identifies us with God because God is truth, and he never lies. But the devil is a liar and the father of lies. So when we lie, we identify ourselves with a different father, and we don't want to do that, amen? 
So we put away lying, and lying was the first thing that had to go. Anger, we found, was a legitimate emotion, but anger can lead to sin, and it says to be angry and sin not. So we're allowed to express anger in the proper way, but we can't harbor it and allow it to fester so it becomes sin. Stealing, we, we found out that uh, we, we have to stop stealing, and that should come as no surprise, amen? If you were surprised by that, you need to schedule an appointment with me. We looked at 25 through 28, and we got through that. 29 was let no unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth. We covered that last time. How many have been exercising self-control over your lips? Even if you've got to raise your hand in faith. Go ahead. Verse 29, do not grieve the Holy Spirit whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. So we found out that we can wound the Holy Spirit with our words and our actions and our behavior, and we can sadden him, and we can make him, you know, brokenhearted for the fact that we who are redeemed are not acting like we've been redeemed. So the Holy Spirit seals us. He's with us all the time. We don't want to grieve him. The last two verses of Chapter 4, give a rapid-fire list of six topics, and that these are more things that Paul says th these things have to go from the life of a believer. Five are new ideas. One, anger is a reiteration of verse 26. We're going to touch on all of these things. Finally, in verse 32, we see three finishing touches of a transformed life. So here we go. The first thing that needs to go in this set here, our rapid-fire list, is bitterness. If you're taking notes tonight, write it down. Bitterness needs to go. Now, bitter people are hard to be around. Someone say amen. You ever been around someone who's just, man, they are bitter and everything, no matter what happens, you could give them $50 and they say, why not 100 You could say, man, you look good today. What, I didn't look good yesterday? You ever been around people like that? Wow, bitterness is something that makes you difficult to be around uh, because bitter people rehearse the same old offenses over and over again. Have you ever met people like that? It happened in third grade, and they're 72 years old. Let it go. But no, they rehearse the same old offenses over and over like a broken record. They keep old wounds fresh and alive because they refuse to let it go. And because they keep old wounds alive and because they refuse to forgive, uh, they become bitter. Now, understand the nature of bitterness. Bitterness is not something that, you know, just gets on us in an instant. Like, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I got bitter. No, that's not the way bitterness happens. Bitterness comes upon us, not instantly, but rather over a period of time, it develops. You say, why? Because we refuse to extend grace and forgiveness to those who wronged us. When we refuse to extend grace and forgiveness to those who wronged us, bitterness begins to fester and foment in us until it takes root in us, and then we are overcome by it. So understand the nature of bitterness and realize that every day, you know, we have to forgive, and every day we have to forget, and every day we have to rely on the grace of God in our lives and extend it to others. I was going to say if people hurt you, but there's no if about it. People hurt us. We're all wounded. We're all scarred. If we could see the way we look in, in, in the spiritual realm, battle scarred, scarred, emotionally scarred, wounded, all of us. So all of us have to make the choice to release 
those wounds and to forgive those who wounded us, lest bitterness take a hold of us. Now, Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 gives us uh, some powerful insights. Write that scripture down. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. Some powerful insights about the nature of, business, uh, of bitterness. I want to list four real quickly. Number one, when we've purposed to pursue peace, we're more easily, it's more easy for us to forgive others. So something about pursuing peace um, when you look at Hebrews 12, and I want you to take some time and, and get in there, meditate it up. But listen to me. Peace is something that all of us need to pursue. Amen. If we're constantly looking to get even or to put people in their place or to get our pound of flesh, <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. That means that we're not doing this, <laughs> hopefully. But, uh, you know, peace is something that we have to pursue categorically. We are those who pursue peace. Grace is something that we need to have an abundance of in our lives. If we're short on grace, we become exponentially more susceptible to becoming bitter. You see, people who are stingy with grace, they get offended easy. And they don't forgive offenses. And so they make themselves really susceptible to becoming bitter. So understand, you know, these are some principles that will help us to repel bitterness. Number three, bitterness may rise up in us quickly in a certain circumstance, but remember, it was there because it took root in us. Hebrews 12 talks about a root of bitterness. And that's not an accidental collection of words. Bitterness, like a weed, it drives its roots deep. And have you ever pulled a weed out and like within days it grows back? And anybody ever garden, go outside, see grass? Yeah. Root, uh, weeds don't die easy. They got chemicals that are powerful. I mean, if you get it on you, you're in trouble. You put that on the weed. Sometimes it takes a couple times to kill it. Weeds have these roots that go deep, and so does bitterness. So be careful about allowing bitterness to take root in your heart. Number four, the fourth principle, bitterness will always hurt us the most, but it also hurts those around us. Look, it says, and by it, it may many will be defiled. Many, say many. Many are defiled, what? By a root of bitterness that's in us. Bitterness always hurts us the most, but it doesn't just hurt us. Realize that if you're a bitter person, you are wounding the people around you. You are making it difficult for those who love you to love you. So bitterness needs to go. Number two, the text continues here. Let all bitterness, all we got in between there is a comma, and here comes wrath. Anybody been expressing wrath today? Anyone have children bring you to the point of wrath? Wrath is something that is an attribute that God expressed in his holiness, but wrath in us needs to go. Wrath is unchecked anger that seeks retribution and revenge. Did you hear that? Wrath is what? Unchecked anger. Remember, anger is a, le a legitimate emotion. There's sometimes we should be angry, amen? We should look at what's going on sometimes in the world and the wickedness and the, the crime and the murder and the school shootings and the abortions, and, and we should be angry about that stuff. And if we're not angry about that stuff, there's something wrong. You know why? Because our Father in heaven is angry at these things. 
And his cup of wrath is filling up, and it's going to spill over when man becomes so stiff-necked and stubborn and won't listen anymore and continues to reject God and try to toss him out of everything. The cup of wrath is filling up. But understand, wrath in us is unchecked anger that seeks retribution and revenge. Now, anger, as we were reminded of in Ephesians 4.25, if not quickly dealt with, becomes a problem. We're not to let the sun go down on our anger, amen? And that's just a picture of God showing us that anger needs to be dealt with quickly. It's volatile. It's like you had a handful of nitroglycerin. You're not feeling that one? Okay. It's like you had a grenade without the pin in it. Is that working better? Okay, that needs to be dealt with quickly. You don't think, well, let me go take a shower. Well, let me answer the phone, or let me, you know, let me read a book. No, you deal with that thing quick. Why? Because it'll blow you apart. And wrath will blow you apart, too. And anger will blow you apart, and it's got to be dealt with. Uh, Anger that's allowed to fester will eventually demand to be avenged. Listen to that. When we're angry, and we harbor it, and we nurse it, and and we let it grow eventually we're going to want revenge against those who've angered us. We're going to want to get even. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? It's the nature of our flesh. Even the most docile, kind, gentle, tender-hearted person, if they nurse anger, it, they're going to want to get even. That's the nature of the flesh. So realize wrath is, a, is a, a, an expression of God's divine character. It's a divine attribute. God distributes his wrath among those who are in rebellion. But when God expresses his wrath, it's just and it's holy. Think about that for a second. How many times when we're angry and we're mad and we're just exploding, do we feel righteous and holy? Zero times. (laughs) Usually we wind up more defiled than the person that made us angry, especially if we let it get to the place of wrath. But when God expresses wrath, it's holy. It's just. And when he expresses his wrath, it's actually in love because it is always backed by the hope that it would bring sinners to repentance. Why does God express his wrath? If God wanted to take us all out, he could do it in the blink of an eye. And we all deserve it. We're all sinners. Well, I didn't do the big sins. Well, little sins will send you to hell too. You know, you go into the part of hell that has a little air conditioning. No, I'm just kidding. Sin is sin. And wrath is, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. Amen. So he's justified in expressing his wrath, but he extends grace and he's patient and he's merciful. But understand, when he expresses wrath, it's in love because he wants to bring us to repentance. You say, how do you know that? Because the word of God says that he's not willing that any should perish. Man's wrath is cruel. Man's wrath is tainted. Man's wrath is self-serving, and it produces more wickedness than good. So wrath has got to go. You say, well, how do I get to the place of wrath? You harbor anger. If you have issues with releasing anger, get on your knees in the secret place before God and teach, ask him to teach you how to let things go. 
Sometimes you might have to talk about them. Sometimes you might have to get some counseling. Sometimes you might have to forgive over and over again, day after day, month after month, until you're free. Come on, Wednesday night. Well, pastor, I tried it. I tried it. I said, I forgive them. And the next day, I, I woke up mad again. Sometimes you have to keep forgiving. You have to keep extending grace. You have to keep praying. Pray for the people who have hurt you. You can't be mad at people you're praying for. You can't be mad at people that you're asking God to bless and God to heal and God to help. Well, we talked about anger before. It's the third one on the list. We've covered it in verse 26. But as I've said, in, even in this message here, that anger is a legitimate emotion. And we're allowed to be angry, but we can't let it become sin. A believer's anger is legitimate when it's the type of anger that mirrors God's righteous indignation. Do you remember we talked about that? Maybe that's a term you want to write down, righteous indignation. And, and I listed some things, you know, does murder, abortion, sex trafficking, pornography, tyranny, the persecution of the church, does that make you angry? Oh, you sound really passionate out there. I mean, think about it. They're snatching up children and bring, you know, there's this, there's this whole thing where they take children and they, they take girls and they, they snatch them up and they, they sex traffic them and they, and they use them uh, in undescribable ways. And, you know, all of us sit, you know, down and we, we try not to think about this stuff, but there's so much wickedness going on in the world. There's so much evil, the murders, people killing each other over shoes and clothes, and I want your sneakers, or I want that wad of money in your pocket, and, and just murder. It seems like people just are, are unchained these days with no respect for life. If you, if you see what's going on with the abortion issue, because they're about to overturn Roe versus Wade because it was just bad case law, and they're about... They're about to just turn this all over to the states and, and the wickedness and the, the, the vitriolic things that people are threatening to do, attacking, you know, crisis pregnancy centers. You guys know what's going on? Yeah, no, you don't seem like it because I'm preaching pretty good up here. So this stuff should make us angry, and we can't allow it to, you know, get us to the place where we become you know, we want vengeance and we want wrath. We've got to pray and, and still want grace, but we're allowed to be angry, but we have to deal with it correctly. Now, when our anger leads to sin, that's because our anger is rooted in pride. You know, our pride is offended and, you know, we, we want our pound of flesh or we want to be vindicated or we want to set people straight. And we've always got to be careful about that. So anytime we're dealing with anger, we should examine our hearts. We should find out what we're angry at and why. And then we should deal with it before the Lord. Amen. So you got it, right? Let's move on to number four. This is an interesting one here. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor. Say clamor. Has anyone clamored today? There again, not, not a word we use routinely. Clamor is an interesting word, but the rendering of the word cla clamor in the English is from the Greek word kroge, and kroge only appears one time, and it's here in this scripture. So in all of scripture, this Greek word is only used once, clamor. That's why it's not a familiar word to us. It's not even a, a word that's very prominent in scripture, one time. Clamor means a tumultuous, grievous outcry. 
That's basically a beautiful way of saying you're screaming, yelling, and carrying on. <laughs> now, I'll ask you the question again. Has anyone clamored today? Screaming, yelling, carrying on, making a scene, alarming and upsetting everyone and everything around you. Have you ever seen people who yell and scream all the time? Maybe you grew up in a house where there was yelling and screaming all the time. People say to me, you're yelling. I say, no, I'm Italian. I'm not yelling. This is not yelling yet. But you've been around people and I've been around people that all they do is yell and scream and carry on. And you know what? It's really upsetting to those around. I've seen people who yell and scream so much, the dog has a nervous stomach. Dog's in the corner. That's not the type of house that we're supposed to have as Christians. Now, I know if you have little children, if you have teenagers, if you're married, sometimes the volume gets turned up. Oh, everybody's trying to look holy. Some people are going to run out the door. But the truth is we all get loud at times. But the Bible is telling us right here about yelling and screaming to the point where it's upsetting that it breaches the peace and it chases away the peace of God, that that needs to go. You know, uh, yelling and screaming, I, I don't know about you, I remember as a young person seeing people uh, in the city when, you know, we would go to visit my grandparents in the Bronx where there was yelling and screaming and fighting in the street. Anybody ever seen stuff like that? And as a little kid, I remember it upsetting me for days. What were they fighting about? What were they yelling about? What were those words that they were saying? You see, yelling and screaming can upset a person's spirit for days. There are people who have PTSD because they've been yelled and screamed at from when they were little children. And we as Christians need to have better control of our emotions and better control of our mouths than to create an environment like that that breaches the peace of God. You, can, you and I can correct the most serious situations and address the most serious issues most of the time without even having to raise our voices. As a parent, if you raise your voice, you need to do it at very select times. If you do it too much, it loses its effect. I've seen children that grew up in screaming households where you could have the both parents screaming at them and they are not listening to a thing. Come on, everybody's just trying to pretend they don't know what I'm talking about. So clamor's got to go. You and I should have enough self-control with our mouths. If we have to raise our voice, it should be few and far between. Uh, you know, as the, the older I get, the, the more mellow I get. But there are times where, you know, you have to raise the volume for whatever reason, but it should not be the mark of our character, and clamor should not be something that defines us or our household. Amen? Amen. Believers need to keep the peace. Screamers got to go. So let's talk about the next issue here. Little bitterness, wrath, anger. We learned about clamor and evil speaking or slander. Uh, this is an interesting one. Let evil speaking or slander be put away from you with all malice. Let's talk about slander. The next thing that Paul puts his finger on here as something that needs to be driven out of the life 
of a believer is slander or evil speaking. And what is slander? Slander is false or unsupported destructive statements spoken or published that are injurious to a person's reputation. Now listen to that. False. Say false. They are false statements. Slander is categorically false. We're going to talk about malice in a minute. There's a different definition there. Slander is false or unsupported. What does that mean? That means you heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody who thought they read it somewhere. Come on, you know how that works? And, you know, it's unsupported. It's, you know, you're repeating basically gossip. And it turns out that it's false. But it's being said destructively. It's being spoken or published. Why? To injure a person's reputation. And God says that our mouths are not for slander. Our mouths are not to be used destructively to hurt or embarrass other people. Someone say amen. The King James calls slander evil speaking. The speech is categorically evil, not because it's unpleasant or mean or hard to hear, but because it's untrue. Did you hear that? Sometimes we have to say things that are unpleasant or not nice to hear. If you've been around Full Gospel Center long enough, you know I strive to preach the word as it's written, uh, the, way, the way God intended it, amen? I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't even want to soften it up. I just want to say what's there, amen? And sometimes some of the stuff we have to look at in the word of God is a little unpleasant. Not only is it unpleasant for us to hear because it's convicting, it's indicting, but it's, it's difficult for me to preach. Because as a pastor, I want to be true to the word, but as a shepherd, I don't want to hurt sheep. I love sheep. And hopefully you love shepherds. But I'm, I'm thankful that Jesus tells me what I need to hear when I need to hear it aren't you? I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit tells me what I need to change when I need to change it. And so that's the way the word of God is. But slander is not that way. It's, it's, it's not bad because it's mean. It's not bad because it's hard to hear. It's bad because it's categorically untrue. Saying the truth about someone or something that's negative is not necessarily slander. Listen to this. If I, I make this statement, Adolf Hitler was a murderous, anti-Semitic megalomaniac. That's not slander. History has proven all of that to be absolutely true. He was a megalomaniac. He wanted to control the world. He thought he had the master race. He was anti-Semitic. He hated the Jews and blamed all of Germany's and the world's problems on them. He was a murderer, regardless of how the revisionist historians try to explain away or, or, or say that, the, you know, that, that it didn't happen. He killed six million Jews in Nazi concentration camps. So that, sta that statement I just made is not slander. It, it might not sound nice. It might not feel good, but it's the absolute truth. Now, let me say something about saying the truth. Sometimes we, can, we don't always have to say the truth about everything. Amen? We should only say the truth when the Holy Spirit prompts us to say it. Because you know what? The, the Bible tells us we should say the truth in love. 
If we want to say the truth, but there's no love in it, we are better off not saying it. Amen. Get your heart right until you can say it with love. Amen. Because otherwise we come off as self-righteous and there's a stench about that that turns people away from God. So the Bible's putting its finger on slander here. It's this destructive speech pattern that's falsehoods are being spoken. They're unsupported. They're hearsay. Uh, they're designed to injure a person's reputation. Now, uh, we know that slander is, is not something that's necessarily true. We gave our little Hitler illustration there, and I hope that was a blessing to all of you. But slander is about perpetuating lies. And lying, obviously, was something that needed to go. So this is kind of a reinforcement of that. You know, we're, we're perpetuating lies when we slander someone based on conjecture and hearsay. And a lot of times, the people who do the slandering are in positions of power, and the person who's being slandered doesn't even have the ability to speak up and set the record straight. Many times they have to do it in court. Do you know slander is something that you can be sued for? Newspapers and, you know, uh, commentators and people in political office are routinely sued for slander when they repeat things that they know aren't true to besmirch someone's character, maybe someone they're running against. Hello. So slander is something that can get you uh, dragged into court and sued and, and sued for damages. You know, uh, unfortunately, all of us had to uh, see, hear this John, Johnny Depp, Angela Heard trial. How many people were just like not very interested in that, but it was everywhere? Amen. And what was that all about? That was all about slander. Now, whether you agree with the outcome or whatever, you, th you think you know better than the jury, I don't know. But th the basis of that whole case was that you said stuff about me that wasn't true that destroyed my ability to have a career. That's slander. Now, that was a sad situation all around because I don't think anybody came out of that one smelling too good. But it's a great example of what slander is and how it can, you know, create a lot of trouble for us. Number six is malice. Malice is the last thing that needs to go here, and it is the final link in the chain uh, where it says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking or slander be put away from you with all malice. So malice is mentioned, and it's almost like an add-on to the slander. Malice and slander, you know, they have some things in common, yet they're different. It says, along with malice. So what is malice? It's not saying or doing things that are deliberate. It, it is saying or doing things that are deliberately harmful and spiteful that are meant to cause damage to an individual or a group. So when you say something maliciously, it's because you want to damage someone or you want to damage a group. When somebody comes out and says, all Christians are X, Y, and Z, or those pro-lifers are all a bunch of fascists. Come on, what do we get called? Those people who don't want them to teach perversion in school are Nazis. Come on, what are we, what are we being called lately, right? Domestic terrorists. Moms who go to the school board and don't want their kids taught uh, how to engage in homosexual behavior are called domestic terrorists. Come on, I'm just preaching the truth in church. It's a crazy world out there, isn't it? And people have malice towards the church. You know what they called us for wanting to be on the school boards and having a say in how our 
Children are taught. They called us all kinds of names. Even our church here, fundamentalists, right-wing extremists. I want to get a T-shirt with all those names on it. I'm a proud. Amen. I'm like, these people don't realize that we don't care what they think. That we would rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. Amen. Now, we're going to answer to God for the way this generation goes because we're supposed to be salt and light. And if we cower in the corner and say, oh, I guess they don't want to hear what we think. That's not salt. That's not light. That's man-pleasing. So malice is something that, you know, we see all the time. Now, an example of something that's malicious or can be malicious is malicious gossip. It's someone who gossips or passes on information to deliberately harm another person, to cause damage to them, to change the way people think about them. Do you know why people tell other people about you and what you did and, 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 and when you were a little kid? And, when, and then, Do you know about them, why they want to damage the way you look in the eyes of others? And that's malicious. And that's really a wicked thing to do. The Bible says that we should know nothing about each other but Christ, amen? What do you know about Pastor Rick? I know Jesus saved him from all his sin and rottenness and made him a son of God, amen? We're in Christ. We're in him. So as Christians, we shouldn't be malicious about others. I've heard Christians say all kinds of things about other Christians, about other churches, about other pastors that are just inappropriate. Oh, welcome to Wednesday night. I'm friends with a lot of the pastors in this area and the ones that are preaching the gospel. A lot of us have sent people back. They come to the church and say, this, this pastor, Bubba, and I left the church. I say, you need to go back and talk to that pastor. I've had other pastors do the same thing. Oh, we're here. We left Full Gospel Center. Well, you, you have the wrong attitude. You need to go back and get right with Pastor Rick. Oh, people, people don't like this stuff. You see, when the churches have unity like that, and we, we trust in each other and know that, you know, these are men of God, these are places where the gospel's preached, people can't be spiritual pirates and jump from one ship to the next and make trouble everywhere they go, amen? That's another sermon, but we're talking about maliciousness here. Now, malice, unlike slander, does not have to be a lie. Malice could be the truth. But it's said in a way to damage someone, and it's said in a way that, you know, is to be destructive to another person's character, and it has no, it didn't need to be said. Telling the truth about a person that shared a truth with you in confidence in order to hurt or embarrass or discredit them is malice. You know, when someone tells you something in confidence, and then you share it with five other people because it's titillating and you know that it'll change their opinion of them. Just got real at Full Gospel Center, didn't it? Malice has got to go. Slander has got to go. All of these things, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, these are the things of the old nature. They've got to go. And so Paul is putting his finger on them so the Holy Spirit can bring them to our attention so we can make sure that we're not allowing any of these things to harbor in our hearts or in our mouths. They've got to go. Uh, 
verse 32 finishes uh, by giving us the three finishing touches of a transformed life. Here they are. And be kind, say kind, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So there's the, the three finishing touches, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. If you're taking notes tonight, I encourage you to, uh, in verse 32, you want to look for kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. That's what this is all about. Once we've got all those negative characteristics purged from our character, then we can function according to verse 32. We can be kind to one another, tenderhearted. That's compassion. We can forgive one another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven us. So let's take a look at here. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Let's talk about kindness. The greatest thing about kindness is it can accomplish some of the most incredibly priceless things in another person, and it doesn't cost us a dime to share it. Think about that. You and I expressing kindness is absolutely free. At the end of the day, you don't get a bill from heaven, your kindness surcharge. You are very kind today, and that's going to cost you. You should have minded your business and just, you know, went about. No, you, we can be as kind as we want, and it doesn't cost us a thing. That person who in traffic wants to cut us off, well, let them in. The person with three carts of food at the super Walmart, let them in front of you. The person having a hard time, uh, stuck on the side of the road, pull over and help them. Smile at people. Say hello. I was in the hardware store the other day, and there was a particularly old, crusty-looking gentleman in the nails and screws aisle, and he looked just so miserable. He's like, so I thought, I'm going to talk to him. <laughs> so I said, what do you think about these screws? I bought a box of these, and it came with a bit, and they were great, man. These were the best screws. He's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I like them too. You know, and then he, he softened up a little bit. And when I went away, he wasn't scowling in the screw aisle. He sort of had a little smile on his face. So what did that cost me? Well, it took a risk there, Pastor. You know, he could, could have leapt on you and, you know, tried to murder you. Yeah, well, be kind to people. Be, be friendly, amen? It, just because they're miserable and grouchy doesn't mean we have to, you know, get, we have to. No, we can change the atmosphere if we just choose to be kind. Now, not, you know, all of us have our days, but kindness doesn't cost us anything, and it can accomplish so much. And really, what does it cost us to offer a smile, to give a nod, to, to let person have the right of way, you know, to say, I like your shirt or I like your hat? You know, once in a while, I'll be like looking at somebody, and they're looking at me, and I'm like, that's a good beard you got there. Just be kind. How about Compassion. Compassion is a little different than kindness. Compassion is putting aside our self-interest long enough to empathize with the challenges of others. Did you hear that? You know, we can be all self-absorbed, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, and we can forget that there's people around us that are hurting. We can be so busy with our bills and our job and our finances and our problems that we forget there's a world out there that's hurting. 
And what we've got to do as Christians is to realize that God is our provision. And even though life is not easy, we're okay because we're in his hands that we can take the focus off of us long enough to empathize with the challenges of other people. Yeah, kindness works with it. Kindness leads to compassion. But when we allow our kindness to connect us to people who are, you know, struggling, we can see what they're going through. And hopefully the compassion of God will stir up in our hearts and we'll empathize with them. And let me say something about compassion here. Compassion is a beautiful thing. Empathy is wonderful. But listen, when we mix action with compassion, God can do some amazing things. Amen? Are you getting that? It's one thing to just go, oh, look at that poor, per- oh, man, they're, oh, they're having a tough day. I feel so bad. Well, back to my day. You see, when we roll up our sleeves and jump in and allow our compassion to be met with action, now, I will say we should follow the leading of the Holy Spirit on this. But, you know, compassion without action doesn't really accomplish much. I'm thankful that, you know, we had Brother Charles see a nation in West Africa, the Gambia, struggling and hurting and needing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that when he presented it to us, you know, we had compassion for that nation, and then we rolled up our sleeves and did something, and now there's a church out there that's ready to bring the gospel to West Africa. You see, it it would be one thing if we just all sat around, oh, you know, the poor Gambia. But no, we allowed our compassion to be mixed with action under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And now God is accomplishing some amazing things. Well, let's bring it in for landing with forgiveness. We've got kindness, compassion, and now forgiveness. These are the three finishing touches of a transformed life. When we push out all that other mess, We can allow ourselves to focus on kindness, compassion, and then finally, forgiveness. We all know we've been forgiven a debt we could never repay. How many lifetimes would it take to work off even just a tenth of our sins? How many lifetimes would it take to work off even the sins we did today? But God forgave us, being gracious and compassionate. He extended the free gift of salvation to us through Jesus Christ. We had this debt that we could never work off, we could never pay for, we couldn't justify. The only only recourse we had was to pay it with our own souls. But God loved us too much to let us be separated from him for eternity, so he sent Jesus to pay the debt in our place. Amen? And he extended forgiveness to us. And so we have to extend forgiveness to others. Forgiving others for the believer has never been an option. Don't think, well, you know, I forgave them, so, you know, I scored a lot of extra points with God, and that's going to put another wing on my mansion in heaven. Here's two scriptures, and I'll conclude with this. Luke 6, 37, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Mark 11, 25, 26. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your sins. Wow and ouch. 
a good scripture that we should be reminded of constantly. We as believers who are in him are transformed. All of the things we mentioned have to go. We should be left with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And Ephesians 4 is done. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you tonight for the word that Paul gave to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Father, we know that these principles and these lessons and these challenges were not just for those in Ephesus, but they're for us today, right here and right now. Father, I pray that we heard the word tonight. And Father, as uh, you so specifically put your finger on specific things, Lord God, bitterness and wrath and anger. Father, I pray for me and for my brothers and sisters tonight, if we struggle with any of these things, if we're angry, if, we're, if we want revenge, if we, we, we want our pound of flesh, if we're bitter about the disappointments of life, Father, uh, help us to be cleansed of all these things. Help us to find a place of repentance where we can release these things to you. God, if we clamor and we complain and our mouths are, are, are loud and, and we upset and breach the peace by our clamor, Father, help us to have a guard over our lips that our words would change the atmosphere for the good and not for the worst. Father, where there's slander and where there's malice in the church, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would expose and convict and root these things out because they have no place in the body of Christ. Father, they have no place in the people of God. They have no place in our churches. God, leave us with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight. Amen.